skipping rope, working a speed bag and heavy bag, pounding his trainer's mitts until his knuckles bleed, and sparring so often that headaches become his best friend. I followed Dickie into boxing, the way little brothers so often trail their older siblings. He took me to the gym for the first time when I was seven years old. Dickie was in his mid-teens by then, and already something of a boxing prodigy, on his way to winning three Golden Gloves titles, an amateur athletic union, AAU title, and a New England championship. They called him the Pride of Lowell, and that's exactly what he was. A quick puncher with the angular build of Thomas Hearns and the lightning jab of Willie Pep. Dickie could have been just like the hitman. The sky was the limit. He had as much talent as anyone I've ever seen. More talent than me, that's for sure. But Dickie was his own worst enemy. Crack got the best of him, and he pissed away some of his most productive years. The fighter begins at the tail end of that downward spiral, with Dickie already an addict hanging on to lost glory. In the beginning, though, he was my hero. I boxed because Dickie boxed, simple as that. Not that I was a reluctant student. I liked boxing right away. In fact, I loved everything about it, from the musty smell of the gym to the never-ending soundtrack, the machine gun smack of leather on leather. Even before then, really. I was attracted to the idea of boxing. Two of my sisters were married to fighters, and I was raised in a town where boxing was like the unofficial sport. Some of my earliest memories revolve around impromptu sparring sessions in the basement of our house, with Dickie or one of his buddies on their knees, encouraging me to bang on them with everything I had. And they didn't treat me with kid gloves, so to speak. They'd hang out, and when they got bored, they'd set up a little ring and start whacking me around a little. Come on, Mac, Dickie would yell. Don't be a quitter. I'd fight with everything I had. Once in a while, if I got lucky, I'd catch one of them hard enough to get a reaction. Jesus Christ, they'd say. Little guy's got a wicked shot. By the time I started tagging along with Dickie, he was already established as a fighter, and everybody in town knew who he was. There was a bit of folklore surrounding Dickie. The stories about how Ouchie McManus, a well-known local trainer, would throw a dozen boys into the ring and let them wail on one another until one remained standing. Dickie, nine or ten years of age, and nothing more than a bag of bones, always seemed to be the last to leave the ring. Or he would sneak off to Rockin' and Park, a thoroughbred racetrack located just over the border in Salem, New Hampshire, so that he could take part in amateur fight cards. They did this every so often at the Rock, and usually the shows which were barely above the level of underground brawls, with the crowd betting feverishly on the outcome, included jockeys from the local colony. By twelve years of age, Dickie was a semi-regular participant in these events, always fighting under a pseudonym, and routinely giving these pite-sized grown men everything they could handle. I still laugh when I picture it. Scrawny little Dickie bobbing and weaving, his fist fluttering, baffling some twenty-five-year-old jock who couldn't believe the balls on this little kid. You pull shit like that, and you're bound to become something of a folk hero around town. And that was definitely the case with Dickie. Wired and wiry, he was a kid with boundless energy and limitless potential, and a self-destructive streak to boot. It wasn't like my mom approved of him running off to Rockin' and Park to fight jockeys. He just did it. See, there was no harness in Dickie. The very traits that made him a great boxer, a motor that never quit, a compulsion to train, and a generally addictive, hyperactive personality eventually got him into trouble as well. And while it's true that my mother was one of the first successful female boxing managers, and thus something of a pioneer in the sport, 
She wasn't crazy about either of her little boys fighting at such a young age. Mom had nothing against boxing in general. Hell, it was part of the culture in Lowell, and part of the fabric of our family. But we were her babies. Me especially, as the second youngest of nine children, spread out over two marriages in fifteen years. I suppose my parents just wanted to protect us as long as they could. Especially Mom. My mother got a bad rap over the years for being a little too emotional and involved in her kids' lives. But criticism comes with the territory when you're a woman, clawing your way through a world dominated by men. I'm not saying it was easy growing up in a house full of females. It wasn't. Nor do I completely excuse some of the business mistakes Mom made when she was working on my behalf. But ultimately, I take responsibility for all of that. And I never doubted for a moment my mother's loyalty or love. But let's be honest, the Wad clan wasn't exactly the Brady Bunch. Sure, we were both blended families, but that's pretty much where the similarities end. Here's a quick glance at the family tree. My mother was married first to a man named Dick Eklund. Together they had four children before the relationship broke apart. But even after they separated, and my father, George Ward, entered the picture, and three more children were born, my mother and Dick Eklund remained legally married.